and um, just want to again emphasize as you read this uh, listen to it um, encourage you to think about this question think next kind of think of it through that filter what is next Lord what, what do you have for me next Romans 12 1 through 2 I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. We're shifting gears. We're starting a new series uh, called Think Next. You guys see the banners. And if you walk around our church, you'll see these banners all around. Um, it's not a long series. It's only three weeks. But, um, the, you know, the pastors, we've been talking about this series for, <laughs> for weeks now. And uh, one of the things that, that's special about this series is this, this text. We're going to be in Romans 12, 1 through 13 for this series. And this text is being preached all throughout, um, you know, this, this, this church. You, you guys know that our, our church typically, you know, we, for those that maybe who don't know, our, our, we have, we have uh, multiple services in this, in this building. We have, um, you know, this, this is for the English speaking congregation. There's the Korean speaking congregation. There's a youth service. There's a children's ministry service. And we even have um, a special needs worship service. And typically, you know, we, 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 we preach different passages and each, um, each ministry um, is focusing on something different, but not for these three weeks. For these three weeks, we're all going to cycle together, and we all want the, the same the same word of God being planted in our hearts. Now, some of you are wondering, what does think next mean? And, and just before we get into um, today's word, I, I want to give you a little um, intro as to why we're calling this um, the Think Next series. Um, what does next mean? We have all these different layers of meaning of, of what next um, well, on, you know, on the first level, just what's next for our church? And this is why we want this to be planted into all of the church um, so that we can process this together. This isn't just only for the English-speaking congregation, but what's next, what's next for our whole church? And so that's one, on one level, like just how that whoever you speak to, one of the things that we want to do is we want you to empower you by um, knowing that everybody is processing the, the, the same text that you could, you know, go to if you have a friend on the Korean-speaking congregation, or your own children, or your friend's children, when you're hanging out with them, say, "Hey, you know, what did you get out of uh, out of last Sunday's sermon about, you know, about um, about being a living sacrifice?" And you know, and and then you can, and then we can all process together. So, what's next for our whole church? That's one layer. Another layer may be what's just next for your life. And this series is really about kingdom living. What does it mean to live for Christ, to be a living sacrifice for His reign in our, in our time and in our culture? And so what might be next of something that uh, God may have for you, for your own personal life, right? Um, and the other thing is if we go and live for God's kingdom, and, we and especially if we go and do this together, um, God's kingdom work isn't just for me and just for my time. It's something that goes on, right? And... Um, 
you know, and, and anywhere you have, you know, you may serve in, in various different capacities in our church or maybe even outside of our church as we do things for the Lord. Um, whatever ministry that is that you do, maybe, I mean, who can be thinking about what's next for maybe the next person that I can pour into? So who is next even in some sense? What's, think next is who is next? So the example I gave in the first service is like one of the sisters in the first, she teaches the fourth grade class in our church. And, and one of the things we want to challenge her is maybe you can think not just that this, I mean, in, to the world teaching a fourth grade um, Sunday school Bible study didn't seem like an important activity, but in the kingdom of God is tremendously important. And so it's not just something just for your, your job. You should think like, okay, if I'm going to do this for a couple years, maybe who is next? There's a, this, this is something that I do, and and then and and uh, and the, this, the the um, the gospel can advance forward in the next person that even takes over after me. And lastly, one more layer is if this is a if, if the kingdom of God is advancing, it's, it's going to even be beyond our own life. And so we're thinking we want you to think about next in terms of just this is bigger than me. Um, what's next is what's next is actually the next generation, and so. You know, you, you, some of you, if you've been in our church, you've heard me use this kind of language that, um, that, uh, that our children's ministry isn't a children's ministry, <laughs> that our youth ministry isn't just, isn't, oh, they're just young teenagers and they don't know anything. It's really, it's our mission to the next generation. And so when you're thinking next, think next. Who's, who's going to be the next workers and the movers and shakers proclaiming the gospel for the kingdom of Christ here in our city in our time? Maybe even after, maybe after when it's no longer our time, no longer my time. So all these are different layers of what we mean by think next. And this is something we want to keep sowing so that our church isn't constantly just thinking about, you know, the smallness of my own life or my own time. But that, you know, this is a seed that we, 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 we're hoping to maybe plant every, um, plant every year and cycle around every year and do a series that we, we all do together. And so this is kind of our first shot at this. So that's what think next is about, okay? So that's the, oh, one more thing. Before we actually get into today's word, um, want to uh, just just you're all gonna get you know this we're gonna we're gonna all process this together, and we're gonna ask you to apply this, and you know just simple very doable piece of application that as if you most of you guys um, who are in our small groups which which we call GLFs Gospel Life Families which we already know but we're gonna ask you you know we have just some, a couple of questions that we'd love for you now that you know that your kids or your wife you know your other people are going to be um, discussing this you know receiving the same word discuss this at the dinner table and so grab one of these and then this will also be um, you know this will be our discussion guide for our GLS this week as we launch our, our small group ministry this week and then this other thing we're gonna have like we're gonna um, we're gonna encourage you to pick up um, you know, one of these little cards, and if you come into our church, you'll see, you know, if, I don't know if you, on, on the front there in the front lobby, I don't know, some of you guys are probably, what is that? Um, uh, a lot of the people on the Korean-speaking ministry are like, what in the world is that? You see this big board, and at the top it says Kingdom Dreams, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Kingdom Dreams today, and after today's message, you'll, you'll um, hopefully have, a, there'll be a Kingdom Dream that comes to you. And we'd, like, we'd love to encourage you to grab a card and scribble down a kingdom dream and put it up there so you can see all the different things that the Lord, you know, the Holy Spirit is doing in our church. And then we can all just share it together and, and walk in it together. Okay, so that's, that's, that's what some of these uh, things are for. So grab one of these and this. All right, that's enough of that. Let's get into today's word. In three parts today as we look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, 
part one of my message, um, living sacrifices as worship offerings. Part one, living sacrifices as worship offerings. Part two will be kingdom dreams and not just worldly dreams, all right? So this is one of the things that we really want to emphasize as we go through the series. Do you have some kind of a kingdom dream? I know that, you, I hope, at least I hope you all have some kind of dream for how your life can be good in the world, but do you have more of a dream from the Lord for His kingdom? Part two is kingdom dreams, not just worldly dreams. And part three, I'm going to close with um, a discussion, that something I'm going to call Thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done, all right? Thy Kingdom Come, Thy Will Be Done. So let's get into this. Part one, living sacrifices as worship offerings. If we go to uh, verse one, chapter 12, verse one, this is the way Paul puts it. Now this is a... He says, therefore, and it's after a, a long discussion. So for those of you who don't know, um, the book of Romans is probably the most important explication of the gospel. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's packed with some very important theology. That's like the first eight chapters. And then chapters 9 through 11 has implications about, you know, the Israel and, and, and Gentile relationship. And then in light of all this incredible of, of what, um, you know, explication of what the gospel is, what Jesus has done for us, which we could never have done for ourselves. Then now, as we get into chapter 12, Paul is um, exhorting us to live a certain kind of way, and this is how he puts it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, let me just unpack this. Um, so we're going... Okay, I don't really understand sacrifice. I don't really understand living sacrifice. And I don't really understand, what, 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 is, what is this about? How is this worship? And, um, you know, what is to, to just, what does this mean? Now, back in the Greco-Roman times, and in, ancient, in ancient times, and, and even probably in, in other countries around the world, most of you guys probably know that some societies and certain religions, if you go to worship, you literally will do some kind of a sacrifice. So for those of you who have grown this, you know that especially this was the practice of Jews in the Old Testament. They would go to a temple and, you know, you, at synagogue, which may be in their local, they may do something similar to what we, they may sing some songs to the Lord, and then they may hear a word from the scriptures. But when they went to temple to worship, um, they would, they would travel to Jerusalem and go to the temple, and they would bring an animal. <laughs> you would either you would bring this animal all the way from home, or you would go to the, one of the local market where they would, you could, you could uh, you know, it's kind of hard to bring your cow all the way from, you know, Galilee or something like that down to Jerusalem. So you go to a local market, and you would bring, if you had a little more money, you would, you would sacrifice cattle, right? If you, or, or maybe a lamb. And if you didn't have as much money, you might sacrifice like a pigeon or a turtle dove. And so you would, you would actually have an animal and you would sacrifice it to the temple. And it has various layers of meaning. It would be um, if something good happened in your life, you'd give thanksgiving to the Lord. Or if you wanted a, a certain piece of mercy to come into your life or into those, you would, that would be a sacrifice. You're asking the Lord to, to give a certain kind of mercy. And, of course, there's also the, the, the most common one, which is a sacrifice for our sins. And so that's, that was the practice back then. Now, some of you are also wondering, like, so, okay, so Jews would have understood this, right? Or they understand this, at least like the concept of sacrifice. But this is also 
This is, a, this is a letter written to the church in Rome. And most of the people probably in this church, there were, probably, there were some Jewish Christians in this church, but there were also mostly there, there are various different Greco-Romans that understand the, the Roman culture. And I don't know if you know this, but the Romans would have understood this idea of sacrifice as worship too. Because the Romans were people not kind of unlike, they were very sophisticated, world-wise, world and, and very... Um, and very multicultural and multi-ethnic like our society, but and they but they they then had to embrace everybody's religions. So they boasted, I mean today the word we would use is is tolerant, right? But they would have said, oh we get it, we're the same way. They would say, we're we're not only just tolerant, we love all people's worship. We worship your gods too. Because so they would embrace everybody's gods and encourage you to worship your own God in your own way. So they had a kind of freedom of religion. But the way Romans would go, they would go to their temple and they would also do a form of sacrifice as well. Now, some of them may used animals, but the, the, the typical classic one was that they would do a sacrifice, of, they would pour out wine. And so if you were a, a good Roman citizen, and, I mean, you may, be, you may be from Greece or you may be from um, Syria, but you're a Roman citizen. So you consider yourself Roman. And... Um, and there you would go and you would worship your God for the blessing of the em And not just for your own sake, but you'd also include, you're asking for a blessing of the whole empire. And the way that you would do this is you would bring wine and there would be a portion of the ceremony of your worship service where you go forward before your God and there'd be some picture of like Diana or something like this, you know, maybe a statue of Diana. And you would take your wine and you would pour out a sacrifice uh, through the wine before your God, and you're asking not only for blessing for yourself, but you're asking for blessing for the whole empire. Now, just just to, just to take a moment. Um, many of you are wondering. You've heard this in history that the Christians were persecuted at various different points in Roman history, and um, one of the reasons. And you're wondering, well, why would they? You know, if they were so tolerant and so inclusive, why would they single out the Christians to, you know, to throw them to the lions, crucify them, burn them? <laughs> Them at, I mean, they did all these things. I mean, this isn't, this isn't just uh, stories. This is history. This happened. Why would they do this? It's because that act of worship offering, you're supposed to do it for your God, but you're also supposed to do it for the God of the empire, and the God of the empire is Caesar. And so when you pour out that wine offering as a sacrifice, you're supposed to be offering to the sacrifice of the God of the whole empire, and that's Caesar. And the Christians refused to say, Okay, we're, we're glad that you let us worship our God, who is Christ, but we're not going to do this part because our God forbids us to worship any other gods. And so just think about that for a moment. Um, the worship then was considered very much a political act. In fact, the theology and the politics are very much intermingled. And so for you to be a good Christian or to be a good you know, Jew or to be a good whatever, the Jews actually had an, um, had, uh, had, had an exemption, so they didn't have to do it, but the Christians didn't. And when the Christians, who were multi-ethnic, refused to do this, that's when Rome was offended. <laughs> and that's when Christians were singled out. Now, now, not every emperor would kill the Christians, right? But it's sort of like they'd go through two emperors, and the Christians were left alone, and then the next guy would say, all right, these Christians need to die. And that's, that's the way it was. And so even in this time, the, the, the Romans who are in this church, when Paul says this very odd thing, I appeal to you, brothers, 
by the mercy of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, and that's an act of worship. They understood the sacrifice portion. They're like, okay, everybody, I mean, whether you were Roman or whether you were Jewish, you would immediately understand that worship has a sacrifice portion to it. But what does he mean by being a living, present your bodies? I mean, are, am I supposed to, like, put my body out there and, like, die? And, like, you know, the calf dies. And then, like, you know, the old, in the Old Testament, the, the aroma would go up to God and God would ac accept it as a sacrifice. Is that what I'm supposed to I'm literally supposed to kill? That's not what he means. And so really what he's doing here is he's doing a fundamental reshaping of, of, of the understanding of worship itself. Now, let me just, let me, the gospel when Jesus Christ has come, a good news is coming. He, he completely even changed the very fundamental nature of worship itself. And this is, this is the key here. Throughout the Old Testament, people would go to God, and then they would do this piece of ritual, you know, worship act, a sacrifice. And, and, there's, and, and throughout the Old Testament, and, you know, all the, other, all the other religions around them, you know, the people who worship Dagon or Baal, they too would sacrifice animals to their gods. And... But the Old Testament, when in the Old Testament, God would object if they did their ritual sacrifice just like the way the other people do it. Because at various points in, in Israelite history, the Israelites would go do, they would do this external, they would just go, okay, I did my, they would, they would, have, this, they would have an attitude of worship just like the way the pagans did. And by the way, this isn't just an accusation toward other people's worship. This is the way people worship. You know, their gods all around the world, even today, the attitude toward many people toward, their worship, um, toward worshiping their God, even in the other religions. So if you go to another country, you'll see somebody go to the temple and they'll burn their incense and then you'll see them like bow and, and, and say certain ritual things. And, and really what it is, if I do a certain kind of ritual activity, then that's my devotion to my God. That's what I give to my God. And then the, my God is supposed to, and then I want my God to give me something back. There is a kind of sense of a, of a a, a kind of, I do the ritual, this is, this is my part, and then I get a quid pro quo, I get something back, right? And so you'll see people go to the temple, like, okay, so, so for instance in Asia, you'll see somebody praying, and they're praying for a, a sick loved one. And so if I do this ritual activity, then I want my God to give me, you know, some healing for my loved one, or I want my kid to do really well in the entrance exams of college, and then so then, you know, our family can prosper when our kid goes you know, grows up and gets a really great job. And so, and, but God, even in the Old Testament, said, when you go and you sacrifice your bulls, you know what, he would straight up say things like this, like, what do I need with bulls? What do I need with your calves and your bulls? I own all the cattle on a thousand hills. He's like, it isn't, so they're coming to him thinking like, I'm bringing my righteousness. I'm going to do this activity and I'm going to earn something back and God is going to owe me something back because I'm going to do my sacrifice and God is going to owe me something back. This is the way most people treat religion. But our God, he never saw it that way. <laughs> and especially with the coming of Christ, he completely reorients it all because God, he entered into a covenant relationship with his people said, I will be married to you and I will devote and I will love, I will, I will love you and I will, I'm going to be the one who's going to sacrifice for you. And that is partly the fundamental picture of the gospel. That instead of us having to make a sacrifice and somehow give something to our God so that he owes us something back, actually Jesus is the sacrifice from God to us. 
he'll say, I will make my sacrifice in your place. That my son will be the lamb and he will pay for all your sins and then you will have my riches, you will have my allegiance, you will have my love and care forever by grace. So in light of all this, that's what Paul is covering for the first chapters of all these earlier portions. In light of all this, now he says, now present your body, your whole life. Your, to present your body is to, to, to you, to present you. To present your life as this very odd phrase, a living sacrifice. Because what is a sacrifice? It's, it's, a, it's a worship offering. And the way the New Testament, with the coming of Christ and the gospel, he utterly reshapes it. You're not trying to earn something and get God to give you something back, but now, because he's already given you everything, something that you never could have earned in the first place, because he's already given you everything, so now live your life, make your life a living worship offering. So let me just stop for a moment here. Um, so many people today, and especially people who, who, who don't know Jesus, they tend to think of worship as something that happens for like an hour or maybe two hours if you go to like a, a church that preaches long. In our church, we're medium, an hour and a half, okay? <laughs> All right? All right, uh, there's short, an hour or less. There's long, two to three hours, Pentecostal churches. So, you, so those of you guys who think we're long, we're medium, okay? We're, we're medium, okay? We're medium in this church, okay? And um, so... But they think that that's, that's worship. And, and in one sense, that is worship. I mean, we gather together specifically to exalt and receive the blessings and remember that God has given to us a whole new life by grace, not by our efforts and works. But on, another, on a whole other level, worship is supposed to be something we do with our, all our whole life. <laughs> what, what, is, what is our greatest treasure? What is our... Our, uh, our, our, greatest, um, our, our greatest hope. And whatever you give that yourself to, that's what you worship. And here, Paul is saying, make your life a living worship offering. And so that's what we're, we want to we urge you to today. Will your life be a living worship offering? And what we want to do in the series is like, what could that look like? Now, let me say one more thing as I get, before I go to the second portion of my message. If you have a worship offering, so the Romans, what is it actually for? So I, like I told you, the Romans would give their, their, their pour out wine as like a worship offering. And that wine is being poured out for, well, unto Caesar for the exaltation of Caesar, for the advancement of his kingdom. That's what, that's what that worship was for. And so, you know, we're, they're saying if I do this thing, pour out the wine as a, as a sacrificial offering, I'm saying, let Caesar reign, <laughs> let Caesar be exalted and obeyed, his will be known, and let his kingdom flourish in this means. That's what, what they're saying. And what we want to ask you is actually when the scripture is saying, make your life a living sacrifice, what it's asking is, your life would now be lived more for the exaltation of Christ as king, the advancement of his kingdom, and that his will would be done and people would know him and obey him and follow him willingly. That's what, that's what, the, that's what the sacrifice is for. And so um, the thing that we want to ask you to think about, that's why as we go to this, well, no, let's just shift gears now. As we go to this, as a, what we're going to ask you to do is think about your life. Is your life part of, of a kingdom? 
And I know that's kind of strange because we're, we're democracy-oriented people. But all of us, you know, you all have kind of like two citizenships. You know that? Some of you are American citizens. You know, that's kind of like our political citizen. But ultimately, are you a citizen of a different kingdom, an eternal kingdom? Hopefully, America will last a long time, but it might not. But will you be, will you, will you seek the advancement of a different king, of a, great, of a much greater king? And we're going to ask you to do that through part two. Let's talk about kingdom dreams, all right? Part two, kingdom dreams. Um, let me, before I get into this, uh, this portion about kingdom dreams, um, I just want to just talk about dreams in general. Um, we live in a really nice society, and one of the great things about America is that you don't just have to just do what other people tell you to do. And so ours is a dreamer's society, okay? And everybody, you know, I hope that you guys have some dream of how, like, your life could be because it's one of the great gifts of American culture I'm, I, that, you know, most other cultures don't necessarily believe that. It's like whatever your dad tells you to do, that's what you got to do. <laughs> your family was, like, farmers for several generations. That's it. <laughs> you don't get to dream about being a fisherman. You don't get to dream about, you know, entering the Olympics or making a million dollars because we're, we just fish. That's all we do, and we, we never, we're never going to make a million dollars from fish, all right? So, but in our society, you know, every, everybody dreams. And one of the first things that I want to offer to you is now this verse 2. So let's go to verse 2, Romans 12, verse 2. Here's what it says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, blah, blah, blah. But let's just go on. It says, do not be transformed to this world, but by be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, what is complete. And one of the things I want, I want to talk about is that almost all of us here, by living here in this society, you have some kind of dream of like how your life could turn out good and how your kids' lives can turn out good. Um, I hope that you do. <laughs> I hope that you don't just, you know, punch the clock and go home and just you're just existing until you die. Stop breathing, okay? You, you're, you, you're a human being, and in our culture, you're unleashed. You're, you're given great permission and encouraged to have a dream of what your life could be. And what is a dream? A dream is something that doesn't quite exist now in reality, but it could. It could. I mean... It's what we're asking, you know, you, when you're, so when, when my son was very little, I had a dream that, that one day he could be, a, um, you know, a major league baseball player and, and, and you, know, peep, you know, and be the shortstop for the Oakland A's. Now that he's played baseball for a number of years, that, that dream has died, okay? <laughs> and now if I talk about my son playing shortstop for the Oakland A's, that wouldn't be a dream. That would be a, a fantasy, <laughs> so you guys understand the difference, right? There's dreams, which can actually happen. You know, when your son is six years old and you're like, oh, he's got skills. It's a dream. But now when, when he's 16, you're like, mm, it's a fantasy, okay? So that's different, okay? But you all have dreams, and, you know, most of our dreams, you know, they, they, they're, all, they're not bad dreams. So we don't want you to get this idea that the pastors are saying your dreams of this world that we would call worldly dreams are bad. They're evil. They're, they're not evil. They're not bad. If for you to want to, to advance well in your career, and it's not even just for money's sake, but you want to contribute something well into your, into your industry, that, that's a good dream. right? Or 
that you want to live in just a nice house in a nice neighborhood where there's no crime. And in, in our city, that, you know, that will cost you like minimum $800,000 or something insane like that. Okay, so like that's, you know, so that is that in most cities that that's, that's not much of a dream because they can attain it. But in, in this city, it's like a dream. <laughs> you know, you have to dream this, right? Or like you want your kids to, to excel in some gift that they may have, you know, maybe in sports or to do really well in school, and you have a dream that they, they will go to a really fine school and that they'll have a really great life and excel. But these are all dreams that are inside the world. They're all happen of the world. I mean, um, all our neighbors have these dreams. You, know, you don't have to be a Christian to have a dream like that. In fact, everybody has these dreams. And, and, and so in that way, they're, they're a worldly dream. And... Um, and but one of the things that you, we don't want you to hear, you know, from in our church is that that those dreams are necessarily bad. Okay, and we in the in the church you hear this term worldly, and worldly is sin. You know, worldly is sin, and God's kingdom that's the good stuff, and worldly is the bad stuff. That's not that we, we it's we think that's a really crude and legalistic way of looking at the world, and quite frankly, wrong. Right? Why would you have a dream of your child doing well in a sport or in music or? Or, or you excelling in, 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 in your career, why is that? There's nothing bad about that. It's good. God made the world good. Right? But there's still a problem. <laughs> that if all things in this world, when they're good, if we have them apart from Christ, they rot. <laughs> and, even, and if you begin to chase after your dreams in the world, and, you do, and, and, this, and, it's, and it takes up all your energy, guess what? There, you don't think you're making a sacrifice to a God, but you are. <laughs> If you give your sacrifice, you're making a, you don't think you're worshiping, but you're being a living sacrifice, and you're making a sacrifice to the, to the career success God. If it starts becoming the most important thing in your life, or to the perfect kid God. I mean, most of us, we're like polytheists. We have the career success God, and the super health God, and the look good and be sexy God. And then, you know, and, and if these are the things that, and then we sacrifice all the time. You know, we sacrifice money. You don't sacrifice lots of money. This, I mean, I sacrifice thousands of dollars so that my kids can play piano, and they're not even that good, <laughs> okay? And so that's a sacrifice. Um, so, um, but one of the things we, want, we don't want you to hear is that, you know, that your worldly dreams are bad, but what we, we do want to warn you is if all you have is worldly dreams, and in our city, this is a really intense city. <laughs> you know, this Silicon Valley Bay Area, it's ex very expensive, a lot of you, I know a lot of you, you live very busy and stressed out lives. You, got, you, you have to work 50, 60 hours to get to, you know, in your job. And then you have a nasty commute to get there. And then when you get home, then you don't even have any time for yourself because all your free time is like driving some kid, your kid to a baseball game or to a soccer game or, or to like a violin lesson or whatever. And if you're really ambitious, you have to drive all the way to San Francisco because the best teachers are there, okay? Things like that. And so th this is the patterns of our city. And what we want to say to you is if you have a dream and you're making a sacrifice, think about that. And is all, if, is all your energy going to a worldly dream? Because that's, if you look around our city, that's, everybody's got a dream of how my, my business is going to take off or my website is going to take off or my kids are going to excel. And, and guess what? All our energy and bandwidth gets sucked up. And if there is, where is our identity as sons and daughters of God? Where is our, where is our offering of worship to our king? <laughs> 
And then that robs our neighbors of seeing that there's a greater king and a greater God than the gods that they normally give themselves to. In fact, the king that they typically think that they're giving themselves to is themselves, you know. It's, a, it's my kingdom. You know, I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, as I get to the, 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 Lord's, I mean, the Lord's prayer, but it's my kingdom. And so I want to offer you a verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but let me offer you a different verse. This is Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33. And this is right smack in the middle of one of the most famous discourses from Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, right? And, um, you know, I won't, I won't explicate the whole passage, but this is a passage about anxiety and worry. Is that something that you can relate to? <laughs> anxiety and worry? I, I, you probably can, all right? So verse, um, uh, verse 31 Therefore, do not be anxious, right? saying, what shall we wear, or what shall we drink, or what, you know, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, for the Gentiles, so remember, he's, he's speaking to Jews at this point, and the Gentiles are the people who don't know God. For all the people who don't know God, they seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Let's stop for a moment there. Isn't that nice? <laughs> Just stop for a moment. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Isn't that the constant preoccupation of our time and of our city? And then how are we going to pay for all the things that we're going to eat and drink and wear? And that's, that's the constant preoccupation. And then we worry. We worry. We have anxiety over all these things. But Jesus says, don't worry about these things. Don't have anxieties because, because I redeemed you by grace through the cross. And now you have a father. And your father, he knows. He's your father. He loves you. He cares for you just as any father, and he knows you need these things, right? And now here's the money verse that I want you to have that will help you not be conformed to the pattern of the world, because the pattern of the world is all of us are just preoccupied with our worldly dreams. But here's the verse, and um, it's verse 33. And when I was young, this was a very, very famous verse, okay? And um, it was a famous verse, and I don't think it's as famous anymore. It was famous because... When I was very young in Sunday school, we were taught a song, and it was just this verse, right? And so instead of reading, I'm actually going to sing the song to you. <laughs> I, I, and, and, and I would urge you to, all of you, to learn the song. It's a great song. I, I wish everybody, nowadays, our, our culture has gotten more post-Christian, and people go, oh, those are old songs. Who cares about those old songs? We only want to sing the new hip songs on K-Love, right? If we sing any of those songs at all, right? And, um, but it goes like this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Do any of you guys know that song? Any of you know that song? Some of you know that song, right? Well, let's go back to that song. Seek what first? His kingdom first. Not, some of us, you know, some of you even have more, you know, idealistic dreams. Like, you know, I want to go make an impact on young women and so they can have a good career, which is a great, great thing to do. But then you go out and do this and you create a project for yourself, but that would be creating, that, that's another way of saying seeking my kingdom and my righteousness. Because it's my righteousness that's going to help other girls to like get a good career because of, you know, and fight you know, fight gender discrimination in the workplace or something like this, right? 
And that's not a bad thing to do, of course, but it's still ultimately my kingdom and my righteousness. But what the scriptures, what Jesus himself urges is, don't worry about all these other things, what shall we eat and drink, and all these other things that we tend to be preoccupied with. As Paul would say, do not be conformed to the world, but a, a, a great way of not being conformed to the world is, why don't you seek his kingdom first and make worship offering to his kingdom first. And then God will take care of what you're going to eat and drink. You really believe that? Hmm. I hope you do. I found that. This doesn't mean to be lazy and you're not going to do your job. Or it doesn't give your kids like carte blanche to get D's and F's because I'm just going to follow. I mean, that's not what we're talking about here, right? But, but that don't be all stressed out that your kids got to get absolutely straight A's and got to get a 1500 on the SAT. Otherwise, their lives are going to be ruined. <laughs> and uh, because this happens. I mean, right here in our own city, I just, just the other, other week I was preaching to you that right here in, our, in Palo Alto, one of the richest cities in all of America, filled with some of the most brightest people, literally some of the brightest and most ambitious people in the whole world, at Gunn High School, which is one of the best public schools, not just in California, but in the whole country, filled with incredibly bright students whose parents are rich and live in a million-dollar house, so they've already done it, and they're all going to be preoccupied with other dreams. There's a whole spate of suicides and cutting, right? And this is, this is happening at the top of our society. There needs to be something more. And so Jesus, seek first. Now let me close this message um, by, by talking about thy kingdom come. You know, um, the gospel is a proclamation of a salvation given to us. Nothing that we could ever earn. And Jesus came to give a sacrifice that we could never give of ourselves. In fact, he made the sacrifice in our own place. He shed his blood so that all this, you know, total preoccupation with only worldly dreams could be forgiven. And something even greater can be offered. And what is that thing that's greater to be offered? It's not even just for my life. A lot of people tend to think that I'm going to believe in Jesus, and this is some really bad theology, right? That the gospel is, I believe in Jesus. He pays for my sins. That's a good part. And then, and then we're going to get to go to the kingdom of God. And a lot of people think the kingdom of God is just the good place after we die. <laughs> but it's not. And if you go back to this portion, even, even right here in this chapter, and you know, I won't go back. In this very chapter, before Jesus says this part about seek first the kingdom of God, he taught us a prayer. <laughs> and a lot of you know this prayer. It's famously called the Lord's Prayer. Do you guys ever really pay attention to how, how it starts? Um, so a lot of you guys memorize this prayer, uh, maybe when you were very young, but it goes like this, Our Father, who art, I mean, we're, we're using the King James because that's when it became famous. Who, who, who is in heaven? That's the way we, Our Father, who is in heaven, not who art in heaven, but Our Father, who art in heaven, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your name be set apart as greater than all other names. And then here's the next part. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth, as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth. And when Christ came and he died on the cross and he was resurrected, he's saying, I have now conquered all of death and sin, and I come to be a king 
to offer the world a whole new kingdom. A world of justice and of mercy and of humility and of unity, of, of shalom and of healing in a way that's wholly different. And when we're asking you to now to like pour out your life as a living sacrifice unto a king, what does that look like? And what we're going to ask you to do is, you know, there's a dream. We need to have dreams of the kingdom. And why do they have to be dreams? Remember what a dream is. It's something that could be real, but isn't yet. Not a fantasy. You know, there's a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus today. They just go, oh, that's just, that's just, when you take a dream and you just mean a fantasy. No, we mean a dream. What could it be? And in order to just close my message, you know, we're looking for different ways that Christ's kingdom can come. That we would, I know you don't actually say this every morning, but this is kind of the way we think. We wake up in the morning and we think, my kingdom come <laughs> and my will be done in my, in, in my, in my company <laughs> or in my commute. In my commute, my kingdom come, my will be done. And if my will be done, all these people wouldn't be here clogging up traffic so that I, you know, so that instead of making me so angry, you know, instead of, so, so I would stop giving them the finger. <laughs> all right? So if my will be done, then I, w- I don't have to give you the finger, but you're making me angry because my kingdom, you're invading my kingdom right here. That's, that's kind of how we think, right? That's why there's so much anger because everybody's, it's my kingdom, my will be done. But the kingdom comes when his children begin to see his kingdom. And it's something that we don't see yet. It's something you see in your mind. It's like a dream. And I just want to close with just a few examples of maybe what this could be like, right? That you, and you could, as we go through the series, that you would have your own kingdom dreams, that, that the Lord would spur in your heart kingdom dreams that you might want to, to sacrificially give your life for, right? So let me just... So let's be brief here. Pastor Young, um, so he's a good dad, and you know his children, they do sports. And uh, one of his daughters is actually really talented. I mean, she's been recruited to the travel team, so he's like, he's talked to me, and he said, oh, man, am I, I going to do this travel stuff? And I mean, he's, and I have to sacrifice my whole crazy weekend so that my daughter could possibly, what, get a, get a soccer scholarship maybe? But that isn't his purpose, at least one of his purposes, and he shared this with me, he says that, said we, we, by doing sports, is something that we love and enjoy, and then we want to meet our friends and neighbors who also enjoy sports. And then we would like to make real friendships among our neighbors, and many of them who don't know Jesus, and it is our hope that as we have relationships with people who don't know Jesus, that we would be manifest the kingdom of God and some of them would get saved. Right? And you know what? Do you know that cars, you know, pa- Pastor Young's um, daughter, that her coach, I think, I think, I'm not sure, I think, I'm not sure if it was soccer or, or softball, I think it was softball coach, right, was so impressed with her and knows that she is, is a Christian and goes to church. Do you know that he sent our church money? <laughs> he's not even a, he's not a Christian, <laughs> not a Christian, wrote a check and sent our church money. I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, like, so that's the kingdom of Christ going out into our city just because Pastor Young's family has a dream of the kingdom, and that dream is starting to become real. See it? Um, my family, we, you know, and it's not, I'm not trying to say that we pastors know everything because we're not the best examples. We're just an example, right? 
Not the best A-plus examples, but just even C-plus examples are good. It's helpful, all right? So you can see what Kingdom Dreams can look like, all right? These are just like C-plus Kingdom Dream examples, all right? Um, we, uh, you know, my, my family, we, our kids have played piano for years, and we make them practice 45 minutes a day. And they whine about it, and we fight them, <laughs> right? And they do it, <laughs> right? Um, but 45 minutes a day, and, and I have spent literally thousands of dollars for these piano lessons. But is, is it because, you know, I want my kid to play Beethoven in, in Carnegie Hall? I mean, like, come on. You know, like, that would be fantasy. But instead, we actually have a real kingdom dream. The kingdom dream is, I mean, it's very, one is they would love music, which is simply a gift from God. But they would use this ability to do music to glorify and exalt Christ, which is, the kingdom of God, which is contributing to the kingdom of God. So one of these days, I have a dream that my son will be 25 years old at a church, and they'll say, we have nobody to play keyboard on the, on the praise team. And he'll say, I can do that. <laughs> and he'll do that. Or maybe he's 19 years old at college someday, and he's stressed out because he thinks his life is going to cave in. But instead, actually, he remembers that his life isn't all about worldly dreams and worldly success. His life is about the kingdom. And he'll have this gift of singing praise to the Lord. And he'll go to the piano in the dorm, and he will just start playing chords, and he'll exalt Christ, and his stress will just melt away. See, these are dreams. And I believe that they're on, it's on their way to happening. Let me give you one more. Um, we're going to have an event next month, this, uh, this special fellowship event. And it's with other churches. And so it's right in the, in, in the um, it's right in, in, you know, in, if you look at the bulletin, it's right in, in, in the, um, the vision statement of our, our church that we're a Jesus-centered family crossing cultures. And if you haven't noticed, one of the real pain points in our society is there's a lot of racial and ethnic division in our society. There's, there's great anger. And if you look around our city, I mean, we're a multi-ethnic society, but it's really... It's like we're more like a stew. <laughs> you don't really mix together. It's like you know, Koreans over there and Indians over there and the Mexicans over there and the, and the Chinese over there. That's kind of like the way we really are. And everybody kind of sticks to That's the most common thing. But our, our society wishes that there could really be a deeper unity. And in the kingdom of God, that is God's will. That if his kingdom comes, his will be done, that we have a unity and a real love across culture. That's not just a theory. It's real. <laughs> that's a dream that can become reality. And that's why we're going to have this event. This is, this is a, a, a shot at making the kingdom come. <laughs> so when we have this dinner, there's going to be a church, the Spectrum Church, which is predominantly Indian. They're starting to become more. I mean, I, we, um, I know they have a, a Filipino couple in the church. So you could be fellowshipping. At your dinner table could be a couple of Indians from Spectrum Church and the Filipino couple. And then you might have a church from Chinese for Christ Church. You know, and, you, and then when you hang out with them, you're going to be like, they're just like us. They love Jesus. And instead of us being in this kind of backward idea that our church is just for our ethnicity and tribe, we begin to live in the kingdom. And we have a king, this kingdom dream starts becoming real. What could it be for you? You know, take, take one of these cards, <laughs> write one out. And, and do you notice that he's a healing God? He's a healing king filled with tremendous grace and mercy that pours out through his cross by his spirit, all by grace. Right? 
And may, maybe you know somebody who is a cutter, whose daughter is a cutter in school, or whose son committed suicide, not even just in Palo Alto, but in your school. And maybe it is your dream that the influence and the reign of the king could come into those people's lives. Maybe you know somebody who's, uh, you, you know somebody who's struggling with eating disorder. Maybe you know um, people whose marriages are breaking down. And you have a dream that Christ could come into their life and be king and their families could flourish. Right? Maybe you see the poverty in our city and the, the, there's someone local in yours and you're like, that person shouldn't be homeless. And everybody just ignore. Maybe that could be somewhere there could be a kingdom dream. And at the beginning, it's a dream. But we're not, we're not talking about kingdom fantasies here. The king is real. His name is real. His power is real. And through us, we can take steps that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth, in San Jose, in your life, in your family, among your friends, as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, uh, in, in our city, we're, we're just we're so busy. And the vast majority of the busyness is, is usually so filled with the things that we want to achieve and attain, either for ourselves or maybe for our families or maybe just for a, a certain friends. But would you expand our minds and our visions and let our minds not be conformed to the world, but that your kingdom would break into our mind. That your kingdom come, your will be done, and the glory and beauty of our king would be in our minds and our hearts. And we would take a step, that we would take the step of repentance, but it's actually a step toward beauty of having what could it be like if Jesus was known in this realm, in this problem, with these of my friends, and Jesus, his kingdom come, Lord. And so we pray that you would take all of us, whether there are our six-year-old child or a 17-year-old in the youth group, um, our, our 45 or 60-year-olds or 25-year-olds who speak Korean on the other congregation, Lord. We pray that you would take this and you would multiply and magnify yourself through kingdom dreams and some of those dreams could start to come through. And that's what would be next in our church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond to the Lord.